We know that from a theoretical point of view, the most important decision you can make is where you put your pay's money. Wait a minute. This isn't what I usually hear when someone tells me how I can contribute to a greener world. Shouldn't I eat less meat or stop flying? Well, I guess that's still important, but there's something even more significant. I'm talking about where you place your pension savings. It's much more important than uh, your consumption of red meat, for instance, or your way of transporting yourself. This is Alan Polak. He's the CEO of PFA, the largest pension fund in Denmark. And okay, it's not surprising that the head of a huge life pension company is telling me to think more about my retirement savings. But Alan has a point. PFA has 1.3 million customers and 80 billion euro in assets. All of these resources make it much more capable of climate action than a single citizen. And however small my pension savings are, they can make a huge difference. They just need to be pooled together with the savings of hundreds of thousands of other people. And that's exactly what's happening right now around the globe. Large sums of money are being invested in companies that strive to make a positive impact on the world. These investments can be a major driver of the green transition. It's called sustainable investing, and it's been skyrocketing in popularity, not only in terms of pension funds, but also for public and private investments. In the Nordic countries, financial leaders many decades ago introduced a dimension of sustainability to their investments. And for years now, Nordic governments have set the bar high with clear green criteria for the investment of government-controlled funds. And huge sums have been invested over past decades, setting the standard for other countries to follow. Today, the Nordics are still among the frontrunners. But luckily, sustainable investing is now part of a worldwide financial trend. In this episode, we'll investigate this phenomenon and we'll examine just how great an impact sustainable investing can have on our future. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. The Paris Agreement uh, is very clear on how capital can be used as a tool to mitigate the climate challenge. This is Siri Kalvig. She's the CEO of the Norwegian state-owned climate investment company called Nusno Climate Investments. This is the latest development in a Norwegian tradition of investing government money according to ethical standards. Nusno only invests in companies that have climate strategies or those who work on climate solutions. So Nysnø is a response on the climate or the Paris Agreement. And um, I think we have all have a responsibility to help transform the finance flow, and especially governments have an important role here. But the real and large impact on the flow will only happen if private investors also mobilize globally. And that's why Nysnø is... Um, obliged to always co-invest with uh, private players. Once you work with the finance flow, it's the most powerful tool you can work with in order to contribute to reduce uh, climate change. In Denmark, Alan acknowledges the power of money invested in companies with sustainability on the agenda. 
and he sees that things are developing quickly. Yeah, I've been in this industry for many, many years, and it's interesting to see how sustainable investments have uh, developed. At one point when it started, I think we all called it ethical investments. Then for a period, we called it responsible investments. Then we had the ESG term introduced. Now we talk about sustainability. And actually, I think these topics are very, very relevant for all investments. But the climate part of sustainability is, of course, crucial to all of us. I think what has happened the last couple of years is that the financial industry has completely realized that this is facts. The world is changing and we can impact that. And maybe we have realized that now I talk about the entire system this very late, but it's time to act now. That is a, a very interesting transformation that has been taking place in the financial industry. And as I mentioned, in general, I would say too late. Personally, I've been busy with this topic for more than 12 years, and it has taken a long time to get a recognition that sustainable investments have to be integrated in the way we do our financial decisions, including taking investment decisions. Alan and Sidi are brought together online for this discussion, and we'll soon hear more about how they run their sustainable investments. Also joining the conversation is Emily Goodall. Investing is about the efficient allocation of capital on behalf of the ultimate owners of that capital. So that's you, that's me, if we're lucky enough to have savings and a pension fund. And they work to put those savings to productive use in the economy. So in that intermediary function, they get to decide who gets what slice of that pie and on what terms. Emily is a financial system lead at the World Benchmarking Alliance, a nonprofit organization located in the United Kingdom. She spends her time observing trends in the markets, and she too sees changes happening all around her. I think increasingly investors are under scrutiny for how sustainable those allocations and associated activities are, because they do hold responsibility for the impacts of their business activities, however arm's length those activities may be. And that's where the challenge, I think, comes in, and sort of understanding both for nonprofits who may be looking at what investors are doing, but also for the investors themselves, it can be very challenging to really follow the money and really see you know, what impact that's having and more critically, the strategies that you can have as an investor in order to actually influence that you know, for good, for bad. So I think it's clear that investing really matters for people and planet. That has always been the case. But I think as Alan is mentioning, what's shifting now is that sustainability is also recognized as being really important for investors because sustainability issues pose investment risk and opportunities, of course. I think that's the work that Siri is working on and Alan as well. So climate change is increasingly recognized as posing that sort of wider systemic risk um, and one that can't be diversified away. So, you know, we've all got to do something about it. But I think there's an increasing recognition that there's an impact in many, many other areas um, on people and planet also. The World Benchmarking Alliance was established in 2018 with the goal of creating incentives for investors to stay on the right track. And our mission is to build the movement to measure and incentivize business impact towards a sustainable future that works for everyone. And in that, we think the private sector has really significant influence on whether our global trajectory is sustainable or not. And as I mentioned before, that business has both positive and negative impact, as well as a lot of untapped potential. And I think that goes 
um, writ large, so to speak, for the financial system. So we sort of segmented the world of private sector activities into seven systems. Um, so these look at decarbonisation and energy, digital inclusion. We're looking at food and agriculture, but we're also looking at the financial system. That's one of the seven systems. So we're now developing a benchmark that will look to assess the contribution that the world's most influential financial institutions have to sustainable development. And the idea of a benchmark is, you know, a classic sense is you, you're looking to encourage a race to the top to reward the leaders and to some extent embarrass the laggards. Let's look at what those billions and billions of euro can do for our climate and a sustainable future. If you ask CD, the potential is unlimited. There is no real technical problem uh, fueling uh, this world with clean energy. <laughs> it's just very costly and we need to find new ways and new technology, but it's not like <laughs> impossible, but it's very costly. But the cost of not doing anything is even higher. So I, I think um, to do investment in climate tech it's really needed uh, going forward. Otherwise, I, I mean, there is no other option. We need to get uh, more clean energy and we need to transform the, the whole energy system, the way we eat the food system, the way uh, we heat and cool our houses. All sectors need to be transformed in a more sustainable matter. Uh, and to be able to fuel this transformation, you need to have more risk capital available. And that's uh, uh, what we are offering. For instance, we, we've been um, contributing with the big scale implementation of solar panels through our Ottovo um, investment. We participate in developing the very cleanest solar panel wafers through Norsun. Uh, we develop new battery technology through Senata. Uh, we um, have um, developed uh, robots or electric robots in agriculture through uh, Saga Robotics. Uh, we are investing in the hydrogen value change through AP Venture, a, a state-of-the-art hydrogen fund, and also in blue hydrogen through uh, the company SegPower. So all in all, we have uh, like around 20 investments ourselves, but through our funds investments, we directly or indirectly are invested in 75 companies. Uh, and this is, and we've only been in operation for like three years. So companies like Newsnow and PFA can be incredibly influential when getting other companies to embrace sustainability. But there are still limitations to just how fast a private pension fund like PFA can move forward. PFA must also take the return on their investments into consideration. We are a commercial company. I mean, uh, as a commercial company, you have to some extent to follow your clients and hopefully be in, be in front of your clients and, and, and see the developing trends. We have seen an interest for uh, sustainability for a period. And we are quite convinced that this will continue to increase on the agenda of our clients. So the preferences they have in order to choose the relevant pension provider, they will simply take sustainability higher and higher on that preference list. That's why we have basically developed the product development we have done, which means that we have our traditional flagship pension company, and then we, in parallel, 
have developed what we call Pension Plus, Climate Plus, we call it Climate Pension Plus, which basically means that whatever we have in that portfolio of pension investments has a commitment to zero emission from 25 and actually um, absorbing CO2, which means that it's positive impact from uh, 2030. Uh, and we measure that uh, on, on a yearly basis, which means basically the driver behind this is actually a commercial driver. We, we can see that this is important. It goes without saying that there's a general, you know, branding and image, who do we want to be, what's our contribution to the world, et cetera, et cetera. But you can never take that longer than you have your clients behind you because otherwise the money will go away from us. Clients will take their money out. So we try to be a little on the forefront, but not more than we have the clients with us. All that said, there's been a very positive response from the pension savers. And when they get the chance to choose green investments as a part of their investment portfolio, they show a huge interest in getting reports and feedback on the climate impact of their investments. I think as a financial industry, we have to be be quite clear that there is a difference between nice storytelling and the concrete delivery at, um, you could say, hardcore figures. This is what we have done. Um, And I think maybe sustainable investments in the first period, if you run, go back some years, it was more characterized by good storytelling, nice films and pictures and stories, which were, of course, important. But some of the the, the investors who were maybe a bit skeptical about this, they say, okay, show me, show me your deliveries. What have you delivered on this? And... uh, I'm actually very supportive that we are now moving into a period where there's a much stronger focus on the hardcore deliveries. And that is also what the EU is expecting from us their regulatory steps, which is particularly what we call the taxonomy, which basically means exactly how are we reporting on this. Uh, And you know, the whole EU product Uh, classification is part of this. So we have to classify our products into which degree of sustainability do they have. And I think this is a very, very healthy direction that it's moving into a much tougher system because we had a a tendency to what some call greenwashing, which is basically that you maybe had some products that, financial products that looked greener than they actually were. And here, I think this has helped us a lot that there is actually a toolbox, a very strict toolbox, and how we report and deliver. Siri agrees that reporting is important and that this aspect has improved over the past years. But I also think we are lacking uh, a tool uh, that is about forward-looking climate impact. KPIs. (laughs) KPIs. <laughs> like, okay, let me explain. So when we as an investor, for instance, choose to, we have different investments opportunity, and then we choose to, to invest in, uh, for instance, this Seg Power, which is about uh, uh, blue hydrogen. So we invest uh, 30 million NOx here. 
then as an investor, uh, we are calculating um, uh, the return on this capital for like 10 years ahead. Uh, and we also need uh, to calculate, okay, what's the reduced uh, CO2 emission or the avoided emissions from this um, technology scale up? <laughs> and then investors uh, currently, they uh, calculate in all kinds of different ways. <laughs> so we are lacking um, one or maybe a couple of standards uh, and uh, a generally accepted methodology to calculate the future emission reduction potential. Uh, and I think this is extremely important. And, and you know, well, well, we are at least trying to do our part of uh, uh, say, taking a lead on this. And I, I think this soon will be something many more talks about, uh, because now it's about how to report on your current emissions. Scope one and two and scope three is quite complicated. You could also call this scope four. I'm not sure if that's the right term to use, but you could also some call it avoided emissions. You could also call this call it a future um, CO2 reduction potential. But I think we need to know the climate impact in the future from our initial investments now, and we need to have standardized way of calculating this. Otherwise, we will see a new wave of like just greenwashing. And yeah, so this, this is just to stress the importance of what Alan just said. Future climate impact is also a major part of the World Benchmarking Alliance's work. Here's Emily. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think I'm actually really excited at the potential here because I think there are some emerging um, methodologies and frameworks, Siri, to your point. We, so we developed, we produced actually a benchmark last year. I mentioned we have a decarbonisation and energy focus. And there we were looking at companies in the automotive sector, of electric utilities, and in oil and gas most recently. And we've worked with um, CDP, Carbon Disclosure Project, but also ACT, which is a methodology that come from the French government, um, and there, the, the the focus of the of the methodology is all about that forward looking trajectory series. So it's looking mm. at, I mean, no one has that crystal ball of exactly what would happen otherwise, which is you know the the, the pure definition of impact, that sort of delta. <laughs> um, but what it does do is look at a series of forward looking indicators to look at the alignment of that company's trajectory with the Paris Agreement, and mm. so that includes capex expenditure and all sorts of elements that are a, a strong indication of that trajectory and in what areas and emissions intensity based on sectoral pathways. And I think through that, you start to get, a, I think, a, a much better grasp, as you say, you know, not backward looking, but forward looking, because that's what this is all about, of mm. the company's real intent and then the steps that it's taking to meet that intent. So one thing is measuring the future impact of sustainable investments. But where else should we put our money? Which sectors would benefit the most from future investments? This is CD. We see that the net zero ambitions are set, uh, actions are defined and investments uh, quantified. So I believe we'll see a huge capital flow in these directions going forward, which makes me at least extremely positive. Uh, I, I think now it's time for the a little bit not so sexy area like this to fix the deep decarbonization uh, issues. Uh, that's about uh, uh, 
re-industrializing energy-intensive business, like uh, find new way of um, or, or better way of producing cement and steel and so on. And um, uh, and yeah, so I think we will see a new green wave uh, in in this part. And I also think uh, the closer we get the, um, the Paris goal, we will see the negative emissions technology will be more and more important. So when it comes to enabling negative emission technology, it's it's about technology that extract uh, CO2 from the atmosphere, either by different natural-based methods, but we also need to have DAC technology, so direct air capture technology. I think that will be more and more important. Alan agrees. I only subscribe to what Sia is indicating. There's a lot going on in, in technology around uh, uh, low emission or zero emission. Um, we have seen very few solutions for agriculture. We are very keen on, on uh, everyone moving a little, a little more forward uh, within that industry. That could be uh, very, very positive. Emily thinks that many sectors can up their game in the years to come. I think overall you're going to see an increasing trend in, in action investments that are, that are towards sustainability. Um, but I think that's going to require ongoing scrutiny because, you know, we have seen a lot of soul searching in the industry. You know, I've been in the ESG professional space for some time now, and there's a lot of questioning going on about what does it mean? What does it really lead to? What does it really achieve? And I think that's a good thing. Um, with success, with the huge growth we've seen in this comes comes scrutiny and comes questions. And I think that increasing transparency and ongoing transparency is going to be really important to start um, you know, de- making the financial system less complex and less opaque, because I think that is one of its defining features, unfortunately, in a way that it probably can't really continue <laughs> being so opaque for so much longer, for exactly the reason Alan mentioned, it has such a huge impact. So I think I think there's great potential here. Um, and it's on all of us as consumers, as, as whether we're working in the industry or not, um, in terms of how we engage with our government on these matters to actually be active citizens to to inform that shift. Despite the slow pace, one major question remains. Have we reached a point where sustainable investing is the norm? I think we have still quite a long way. This is Siri again. But I think there is so much um, positive signals now, and and, uh, especially uh, when it comes to the younger generations. They are so much more uh, conscious about their action and how it impacts the planet. So I think it's extremely important that we meet this young optimism with openness and uh, and encourage them to push for positive developments for the planet. And uh, sometimes if it comes across as naive, I think we should just embrace it because that's really the hope for the future. Alan points to the human factor. Well, we are all human beings and uh, human beings... You can question our ability to uh, imagine, to think. Uh, The great philosopher Hannah Arndt, she said that humans have challenges by thinking, meaning imagine. And the interesting thing here is that we can actually think of what's going on. 
but we have difficulties in actually realizing it's true. So the tipping point uh, is unfortunately that some of the climate changes that are very visible, and you can see now the flooding, the burning in Australia, etc. You can you can mention these which are just the starting of catastrophes that we will have, unfortunately, going forward. That means a lot because some, suddenly you can see this, this is real. It's, it is going to happen. And um, this is, of course, very sad that we cannot just think that this will happen. We have to see it uh, in front of us. Uh, but that's that's a fact, and I can see that in the financial industry. I mean, I'm very um, uh, sad to say it, but uh, after after these uh, uh, climate crises we have, uh, then it it gets high on the agenda. The most dramatic example I have was in, in some years back, now five years back. We had the flooding in New York, which is, of course, the biggest center for finance and industry. After the flooding in New York, uh, suddenly the uh, investment industry changed. Uh, this was really important and this was serious, etc. Before we had many who were completely in denial. So that's how it is for human beings. We, uh, we need to see it in front of our eyes. Otherwise, we don't believe it. I think this is inevitable. This transition is happening. You know, the science is clear. The What we're seeing around the world couldn't be clearer on what trajectory we're facing. This is Emily. I take your point, Alan, that, you know, we have to see it to then change our behaviour. But I think the thing I'd add into that is this concept of climate justice or sort of the idea of a just transition, because I think that is what is a... a we've got the technological answers to Siri's point. It's the political will and how we choose to act as citizens in this, because there is a very unequal distribution in how this will affect different people in the world, both across countries, but also within countries. You know, we saw that in the, in the political reaction in France to pr propose changes with the Gilets Jaunes, and you are going to see this as there will be winners and there will be losers in this transition, unfortunately. And unless we actively consider to include those who otherwise will lose out in that tr transition, we threaten the ability to actually affect that climate transition. So that's why it is complex. And unfortunately, all of these things are interconnected. We can't sort of separate out GHG emissions from workers' rights and, and, and living wage and the right to collective bargaining and things like that. Those, these are all interconnected as we go into this transition. Yes. And I think that's that's something that's, you know, was very difficult for us to, to grapple with, I think. But if I just may add one thing, because... We try in my organization, and personally, I try to avoid being too political because I want to get this completely independent on political viewpoint. And the reason why I mention it is that I think we, we struggled some years back because many of the, let's say, climate conscious investors they were seen upon as a bit more, uh, let's just say, a middle uh, left wing. And uh, you know, all the conservative uh, who were in denial, they were more on the other side. What has happened now, which is very, very important, that it has somehow uh, disembarked from being a political theme. It covers everyone, 
Um, and this is difficult because I totally agree with you say to what you say, Emily, that that this will lead to higher level of inequality. I totally agree, and it's a very serious topic. But as you can hear, I'm struggling how to put my words because I I don't want to lose the parts that have now realized this is important. Um, so I think this is something we, we need to keep on discussing how we do this in order to make sure we get everyone behind us. Couldn't agree more. It, it transcends political uh, boundaries and it only he, uh, hinders us, I think, if it goes down party political lines. So it's a, it's a challenge if we can keep with the science. And if we can keep with globally agreed principles like the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, like the ILO Labour Convention standards, those are things which have been agreed, um, you know, beyond party lines. And if so, in our benchmarks, we we try and adhere to those globally agreed standards. Is like this is the best roadmap we have. Like, how are we going to, you know, capture progress towards that, irrespective, as you say, of of political lines. So it's clear that we all need to get on board. But what can people like you and me, who aren't necessarily experts on investments, do, apart from channeling our savings into sustainable investments? Let's hear first from Siri. I think we all can agree with the all change starts with yourself. So it's important just to think through your own life. Um, Can I do, uh, what can I do, and so on. And I'm I, I think either as a, a private person uh, or as a voter, of course, or as an investor, uh, I, I think it's always important now to question the impact of my actions. And, and as an employer, you can uh, question your company. Do they do enough and so on? So, yeah. So I just wanted to say that everything is connected, the the big acts and the small private acts. And uh, therefore, we need to work on on both levels. And now, Emily. Specifically, if you've got, you know, you, you have a banking provider or you have a pension fund, ask. Ask your financial provider how they're considering their impacts on people and planet and what they're doing about it. And think about their answer when you think about your, where you put your money uh, and keep asking. And finally, Alan. Most people have a pension scheme. They might not have a, a, a very big amount of savings on that scheme, but it's also their future savings that will go into that scheme. And to be active with your pension provider, ask them questions, and, and particularly this coming back to show me the impact, show me the figure of what you're doing, I think that is very, very supportive for this agenda. So how green are your pension savings? Many of us have no idea how our hard-earned money is being invested. But as we've heard, actively choosing to go green on our pension investments could actually have a huge impact on the environment. This also represents a major shift in the way that financial institutions are investing our money. It's no longer about how we can simply stop investing in climate sinners. Now we have more opportunities to allocate our capital towards companies making positive changes for society and the environment. It's time to put your money where your mouth is and really exercise the green power of your pension savings. 
Check out nordictalks.com to learn more about the people that you meet in each episode. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>